Welcome to the Bad Roman Podcast. On this show, we talk with veterans, community leaders, Christians, and non-Christians as we explore the entanglement of Christians with the state. The Bad Roman Project was created out of the firm belief that as Christians, we are called to follow Christ, not the state. Here is your host, Craig Hargis. Hey, folks. What does freedom look like to you? What does anarchism look like to you? Today, Lily Forrester comes on the show to talk more about this. Lily caught my attention at the very end of the first episode of the HBO documentary, The Anarchist, about what anarchism looks like. I reached out to Lily and asked if she'd be interested in coming on the show, and she was gracious enough to join me today. Lily, how are you doing? I'm doing all right. Got a little bit of the plague from Mexico City, but I'm all right. <laughs> you were telling me before we started recording that you were hanging out where you saw a bunch of uh, people dressed up as zombies that you were not expecting to see, and you caught the plague from a bunch of zombies, it sounds like, in Mexico City. Yeah, yeah, it seems like it. Um, it seems like it's something that they used to do before COVID, and that this was like the first year that they started doing it again, because there were like literally thousands of people outside my hotel all dressed up like zombies, all marching the street for hours on end. And it was just, it was the most people I've ever seen in one location, I think. The most people you ever seen in one location, they were all dressed up as zombies. That's it. It was yeah. completely unexpected. I can't imagine. But I mean, I've never been to Mexico, so there would be a lot of things that I think I would uh, uh, encounter that I would not be used to. But Yeah, Mexico is not exactly what I expected. Like most of it is not beachy sunshine the centro is like the center of mexico is actually kind of cold <laughs> really uh-huh i've always wanted to go I and mean, you always you always hear about like there's different spots that, 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 and i don't know if it's just corporate media or, or something that we're hearing from corporate media about mexico but you know how dangerous one city is compared to another you got to pick your spots where you go in mexico and people are kind of selective where they go but when I think about it, when, when when it's coming from corporate media, I'm like, I don't know if they're really, they're not telling me the truth about anything else. Why would I believe them here? And then, but then I'm thinking, well, there's, there's spots like that in the United States of America too. I mean, you can go to the United States of America and there's not going to be a safe place. I mean, there's going to be safe, unsafe places to be as well there too. So to, to compare, I don't know. It seems strange to me that, that I don't, I don't know. You, you're going to have a, a pretty, a, a lot better perspective than I am because I'm just getting it secondhand from, and I don't even watch corporate media anymore, but but that's where I was hearing it from before. Yeah, the thing that I've noticed in regards to like media coverage of where's dangerous and where's not in Mexico, um, it's been proven time and time again. Like for example, Puerto Vallarta on the on the west coast is considered one of the safe areas, but I have seen several studies proving their low crime statistics wrong, and they just don't report on it because the reporters that report on it get killed. Um, which is a common thing. But the the thing that I've noticed in regards to safety, and this goes for the United States and Mexico, is like pretty much everywhere sucks and you just have to choose your stuck. Like I say this, you know, quite often is I've known four people in my life to have been murdered and only one of them was in Mexico. The other three were in Ohio. So yeah, it's one of those things where, like, I'm not convinced anywhere's 100% safe. I think we should just more pick the places based off of the type of culture, maybe cost of living, climate, 
things like that. Right. Well, you know, and there was in our messaging kind of leading up, we would, we've been messaging back and forth off and on for a, a few months since that documentary started trying to set this up. And as it, as the documentary progressed, your friend Henza said something about, um, about safety. And you said safety is really an illusion. I, I want to get into that a little bit as we, you know, as we go on, but before we go any further, why don't you give us a little background of yourself, whatever you want us to know, what you're comfortable, you know, folks knowing. Cause like I told you before we started recording, I was not familiar with Lily, John, Paul, um, the Freemans didn't know anything about them. I knew who Larkin Rose was. I've, I've followed some of his stuff. I've read his book. I've, uh, I know I was familiar with Amanda, but everybody else involved with that, that documentary, I was new to. And a lot of the, the folks that run in some of the same circles, you know, a lot, the, a lot of the, the bigger circles that I run in are, you know, Christian anarchist circles, you know, but you got other anarchist circles that are secular and I'm involved with that as well. But so people knew who you were, but just in case there's somebody listening who is not familiar with you, just tell us a little bit about yourself and we'll get into it. I should start by saying that Lily Forrester isn't my real name. You know this from watching the show. And if you want to find it out, I guess go watch the show because I won't necessarily say it here. Um, but the reason I had to get a fake name was in 20, 2015, the end of 2015, seven years ago, just a little over, I got me and my partner at the time, who's known as John Galton in the series, got arrested. And it was for all cannabis-related stuff in Ohio. Um, this is also shown in the series, but I had a pretty colorful upbringing. We'll, we'll put it like my parents were agorists, which are kind of like anarchists that focus less on the philosophy and more on the practicality of getting things done and trying things and just trying to pay less taxes, stuff like that. So, you know, my mom spent like, I don't know, seven years of my childhood, six years of my childhood actively as a fugitive within the state of Ohio. So it wasn't really far-fetched for me to say, okay, well, fuck it. I'm not going to stick around for these charges. So we went to Mexico and we lived in Mexico and Acapulco um, as part of the Acapulco community. Although loosely, because you mentioned the Freemans, they were not happy about us being involved in the community. So we kind of had like these two parallel communities next side by side. And we started the event Anarchoforco, which was like the agorist version, a decentralized version where like we weren't the ones building the schedule. It was who was coming, um, which is that's actually being integrated into Anarchoforco this year. I should mention I don't work for Anarchoforco as a producer, but yeah, I just lived in Acapulco. I had a restaurant in my house. I had a farm for a while there. I had the conference. And I really did most of the work on all of these things. It, it was, uh, there was a lot of like John and Lily rhetoric, but it was like, it was me behind the scenes doing the work. And then, yeah, in 2019, and this is a lot of what the series talks about, the murder of John Galton happened, which is a lot of things that led to that. But ever since then, I've just been kind of laying low, telling my story and training in circus arts in New Mexico and trying to get my legal situation fixed. And that's where I'm at at this point. But yeah, it's been a, I'm the only person I know that's living in this way without papers, having experienced the things that I have. Like it's a wonder I'm not in jail. <laughs> <laughs> well, 
I'm glad you're not. And, I, and I'm, I'm so thankful that you, you're here. I, I've been looking forward to this conversation, you know, ever since watching that documentary. And, and like I mentioned, there's uh, a lot of the folks who follow the Bad Roman podcast are familiar with you and they're excited to hear you on the podcast. This is going to be fun for them. And, and I, you mentioned something at the end of that first episode. And this is when I first reached out to you. I saw it, what you said, and it was basically you seemed frustrated with I don't think seemed is the right word. You were frustrated with with what was going on with Anarcho Poco and the anarchist, I'm using air quotes, community. With and when you got there and you you realized maybe I am more anarchist than these folks, you know. And this is something that they they posted in, on 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 this on the documentary. They showed some of your posts back in 2016 and used you used the word buzzword, and you were talking about ANCAP. I've been called an ANCAP. I honestly don't really know what that means. But when you say buzzword, I, I, that resonated with me because it seems like that word is used a lot with anarchists these days. And then they revert back to the state. I don't know if, if you do you follow American politics at all living in Mexico or you just, just stay away from it? Because I, I'm, I'm going somewhere with this. So you don't. OK. All right. So there's with. The, we got the election coming up in a couple of weeks with the midterms, and then, uh, and then two more years there's going to be another presidential election. Well, a lot of anarchists have reverted back to the Libertarian Party because there's they need to get a message out, and there's some there's a new bunch in this Libertarian Party that they're excited about, and they can get a message out with it. And I'm like, but you're going in reverse. We're moving forward, talking about a voluntary society, and you're going back to work through the state to get a message out. Why can't you use your podcast or why can't you use your platform to do this instead of working through a political faction? And to me, that waters down the message and it, and we're, and it, and we're just, we're stuck in the mud. Whenever I, just to tell you a little bit about myself, whenever, whenever I first found Anarchy, I was pretty excited because I was like, oh, finally, the most principled stance I could find when it comes to politics. And I felt that way for a little while. And the longer I got involved with these circles, the longer it's gone. And 2018 was about the time I really started paying attention to it because I went from neoconservative to libertarian to anarchist. Okay. And, and it all happened within a, you know, a year, year and a half, two years span to me, it seemed very quickly because a lot was coming at me. A lot of, you know, a lot of things were coming, but I was like, okay, finally, this is the most principled stance when it comes to politics. Come to find out, not all anarchists are as principled as I thought they would be, you know? And so it's been very disappointing for me. And the, the things you were saying in that documentary, I was like, she gets it. She's saying what I'm, what I'm feeling right now about anarchists right now. I want to talk to her about it because she's got a better understanding of it. She's been involved with these groups longer than I have. And she sees that she's frustrated. She sees what's going on behind the scenes and she sees it and she calls them out. You were very bold and very brave to call these folks out. I mean, what I saw in this documentary was a lot of people that had a lot of money and it looked like it's just a big party to me. It wasn't really based on like, um, we're going to promote a voluntary society. Let's talk about what we need to do to get this moving forward. Fast forward to 2022, you got a lot of anarchists reverting back to statism because they need to get a message out. And I was just, it pisses me off. I'm not, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat this. It pisses me off because whenever I'm trying to explain this to Christians who are statists and, and try to explain to them that the early church, Jesus Christ himself were anarchists, 
and then you're going then I have to explain anarchist to these Christians when I'm talking about anarchy. I mean, it's it's it just muddies it down. And I told you in messaging too, I've I've thought often and I've never been silent about this. I say it on the show, I've said it on other podcasts. I've thought about shedding the label of anarchist and just calling myself a Christian because the two words should be synonymous. They're not. That's why agorist exists in my experience. I've shed it too in a lot of ways for that reason. Yeah, and you mentioned that too in messaging that that you shed you shed that for agorism. And I've been accused of being an agorist. I don't fully understand agorism, but when people listen to me talk in the way the way I perceive things, they say you're an agorist. Okay. Now Lily Forrester is an agorist, and we can, I want to talk about that as well. But tell me. Let's start with your frustration first with the anarchist community, what you were seeing, moving, you know, leaving Ohio to go to Mexico, thinking you were moving into this community. Turns out you weren't moving into an anarchist community. Well, yeah, what's interesting about that is this was mentioned a little in the show, but we were in a community before we moved to Mexico on our way out called um, Fireweed University in Detroit. That, if I'm being honest, is the most anarchist in, in practice community that I've ever lived in. This is, we were taking over houses that were completely abandoned in Detroit and fixing them and growing food. And we had a labor co-op. And that was interesting because like you had one street that was like the Ancoms. They got all their food from the food bank and they had a community garden that they all took from and that they all put into. And then you had the street that we were on, which is Robinwood. Um, and it was mostly agorists. And like, what I mean by agorists is this is, these are people that see the corruption in the state and have, you know, valuable skills and things to offer the world. And instead of, you know, like, I often compare like anarchists to agorists saying like anarchists, they're the guys that are, you know, conversing about what some dead guy said in a book a hundred years ago. And then you have agorists and this is like, what are people actually doing to change their lives? Like these are the people that are opening, you know, not inspected and licensed food businesses and like unlicensed tattoo artists. And, you know, like people that are like most of the work that I do technically, if I were to work for a regular business, I would need a college degree for, but I do not have a college degree for it. So I just do the thing. And I get paid the money generally in crypto for these sorts of things. And it's like, what was really frustrating was we saw like the, the community online before leaving. Um, and it was like, okay, well, it seems like they're doing what we're doing in Acapulco, but just with more money, which like, that was the big flaw of what was happening in Detroit is like, we were making enough money to survive all of us, but not, you know, really anything beyond that. And we were all struggling because of it. Like winters were hard doing what we were doing. And, um, so it was like, okay, well, let's go down there and let's see what happens. And like, I remember having a conversation with my, with Michonne at the time. And he was like, are you anarchist enough for this? And that's like, I guess we'll see. But like, the thing I've noticed with the anarchy community at large is there's kind of like two or there's three groups of people, one way smaller. The two biggest groups of people are the people that are like, they say that they're an anarchist because the ideas kind of sound good, you know, but they don't actually live in that way. And that's one of those things where all it takes is a push and a shove and they're back in the status mindset. And that's kind of what you're talking about with those people who 
you know, like the Adam Kokeshes who want to run for president. That's not, that's not how, you know, like anybody who really understands these ideas is not going to be interested in running for president. It's just a waste of time. Like when I was in college, I was president of Students for Sensible Drug Policy. And I actually stopped being that way because I was like, I am not trying to lead anybody, even a voluntary group of people. Sorry, not trying to do this. This is not what I am interested in. Um, And that's part of what led to me dropping out. And then like the other type is like people that use the label of anarchy to do whatever the fuck they want and just party their asses off and treat people badly. And when challenged, whatever, I'm an anarchist. You can't tell me what to do. Um, There was a lot of stuff in particular about the Freemans. Some really, some really nasty, like, information that wasn't necessarily shared about them that was their reality like manipulating women into relationships using drugs controlling friends using drugs their own drug use like so and then the smaller third faction is generally the people that are less well known and these are the people that are like hey I believe in these ideas. I try to practice these ideas as much as I can and generally those people have overlap with agorists it's one of those things where like the majority of the people in the movement are people that when, you know, push comes to shove, they kind of like the idea of no government, but they, they're too afraid to really risk anything for it. Like, and I mean, it makes sense. You see people like Larkin Rose, he spent how many, how many years in prison because of just standing up against the tax thing. And then there's me, you know, (laughs) you face hardship, if you go about these things in a certain way and for some people that's too much and I get that, but I'd rather them just not use the label because it's hard enough to get people to take us seriously as it is with these ideas. Well, that's true. I mean, that's Larkin said something one time about, you know, cause this is some of the pushback that I've gotten from folks were you, you call yourself an anarchist, but you still pay taxes. And I was like, I pay the word pay is, is, you're not, I'm not paying these taxes. These taxes are being taken from me. And if I don't pay these taxes, air quotes, then I wind up in a cage like Larkin Rose did. Okay. And, and he said, it's more of a, a self-defense, which I, I understand that. So I don't know if I'm not, if maybe I'm not hundred percent anarchist, I don't know in, in that aspect, but I'm not looking to go live in a cage because I don't want to pay these taxes. I don't want to pay the taxes. I mean, if, if I had the, if I, if they asked me, <laughs> do you want to give me the 35 to 40% of your income to support the state? I would say, absolutely not. I'm not interested, but I wasn't asked. So it was taken from me without, without my permission. And if I don't, then I wind up in a cage. I'm not interested in living in a cage. Yeah. Call, call me a call me a coward. I don't I don't know, but I just I'm just not interested in living in a cage. So I don't think that's me participating in the system though. That's different. That's different. Like paying taxes, which are really an involuntary thing, like you can't even buy things. Even if you stop filing your taxes, you can't even buy things. Like that's not necessarily like I get that to an extent. What I'm talking about is the the anarchists that are running for office yes, and the anarchists that vote and the anarchists that got behind Trump. And those are the people that really kind of like, it's like, but why, you know, like I remember when Trump was getting elected, 
Juan Galt, actually, from the series, um, he was in the last episode labeled a former anarchist, and he got mad about that. But the reality is, like, Juan Galt was over my house for dinner asking me what I thought of the, the presidential election and who I wanted to win. And I was like, bro, I moved to Mexico, so I didn't have to think about that. I don't <laughs> care. And he's like, well, it's, it's important. Like, it's a big election. It's one of the most important elections to date. And I'm like, dude, you are in the wrong group of people. That's the, <laughs> that's the real problem. Like, I want to I continue this, but have you seen that movie Groundhog Day? No, I haven't. Okay, so you, he, the dude wakes up every day and the same thing happens over and over. And I saw a meme today on Facebook. And it was a picture of him. And it says, this is the most important election of our lifetime. And at the bottom of the meme, it says, again. Exactly. <laughs> it's, it's the same garbage we hear every time, every election cycle. And I've told them, and I, I've been, I, I've stopped debating them anymore because it just doesn't go anywhere because they're, they're dug in. They think that they can do what they can do through the Libertarian Party. It's I call bullshit on it. But but I've told them flat out, I said, you cannot call yourself an anarchist and do this. You cannot run for political office and call yourself an anarchist. We need to get more anarchists in office. That's the same garbage that Christians say that we need to get more Republicans in office to fix things. It's the same garbage. It's it, Once you get involved with the mafia, you're part of the mafia. And I'm, I'm sure you're, you're familiar with Ron Paul, right? Exactly, yeah. And I've made this point more um, so much lately that with Ron Paul, and I apologize to our listeners for repeating this, but Lily has not heard this. If anybody was going to change the mafia from the, the inside out, it was going to be Ron Paul. And he proved once and for all that it cannot be done. That's actually that's actually how I ended up fully anarchist because I was pretty libertarian and I was campaigning for Ron Paul. And then I saw how everything went down the last time he ran. And I was like, I quit. I'm not voting. Fuck this. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I mean, they, they stole it from him. And, you know. And just for just so you know a little bit more about me, when Ron Paul was running for president, I was one of those neoconservatives booing him off the stage when he was talking about blowback when it came to war and you know in the Middle East and stuff. And he was talking about blowback. I was one of those neoconservatives booing him off the stage. I did not get to this this mindset through Ron Paul. Now looking back at what the things Ron Paul was saying then, oh, I get it now. I wish I'd have listened then, you know. But getting back to what we were talking about, I love this. This is I want I want to nail this down. Running for office as an anarchist, would you consider them an anarchist, Lily Forrester? <laughs> Definitely not. Um, it's one of those things where, like, I stop taking people seriously when they start saying things like we need to or we need to change the laws, and it's <laughs> like if the Libertarian Party was going to changed the world it had done so already how old is the libertarian party how long has it been fighting against this how how much has it gotten accomplished it's mostly a cesspool of infighting factions within yes. it i've noticed that's one thing i noticed when i when i started getting into libertarian circles working my way out of you know donald trump is actually what changed my views because i couldn't vote for this guy i thought he was garbage i couldn't believe the things he was saying and the way christians were latching on to him so i started looking for a third party to I was like, I'm not going to vote for him. I'm not voting for a Democrat, but I feel still feel the need to vote. So I started looking in, into Libertarian Party, saw Gary Johnson. I was like, this guy's garbage. I'm not going to vote for Gary Johnson either. And I voted way third party, Daryl Castle, you know, the Constitution Party. Last time I ever voted was 2016. And the longer it's gone, like I told you a while ago, when I discovered Anarch, I was like, this is it. This is what I've been looking for, finally. Because even back in my old status days, I had the sense of individuality. 
I think, but I was going about it wrong. It was something I think I learned from my mom growing up. But when I found Anarchy, I was like, okay, this is it. I can just focus on what I need to do, help my neighbor and my enemy when they need help, right? The things that Jesus was teaching us. But the longer it's gone, man, Anarchy just, it, it pisses me off. It pisses me off to no end is to, to talk with these folks who call themselves an anarchist because I want to tell people about anarchy, what it actually means, not what Sean Hannity or Donald Trump are calling anarchy. I want to talk about the actual philosophy of it. But then I had to explain self or professing anarchists who were going about it in a different way and they're they're wrong. I think I don't know if you've looked into him yet. Um, I hate to recommend a de- another dead author, but he's only recently dead. The guy that coined the ter- term agorist, Sam Konkin, he is like I was reading all the, you know, Mises and all those people, Rothbard and stuff. And I was like, OK, yeah, this is right in theory. But like. The thing that I've noticed about agorism and agorist people is they're all kind of more or less, you know, they're kind of like what you're describing, but they they kind of shy away from the word anarchy because of that, because it's just, it's a cesspool of people doing whatever the fuck they want. Whereas the idea of agorism is building healthy communities, you know, based off of your skills and voluntary interactions, and that's it. And, you know, like, it's also the first thing that every agorist should do is really assess what risk they're willing to take in terms of, like, are they how, what laws are they willing to break? Um, how far are they willing to test it with the IRS? Stuff like that. Um, and I think that that's something that anarchism as a whole lacks because anarchism is like, okay, you should stop paying taxes and stop voting and blah, 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 blah. And this is how things could look. But like, I don't see them actually putting putting shit into action. And a lot of those people were like telling me to call the police after the murder. It's like, really, <laughs> I, you know, it's the, the mark of a good community. I've learned is like, how do they respond to crisis? What happens when shit goes down? And that's not something that um, that's really something that the anarchist community in Acapulco really failed at. When things got hard, there were a few people, and these people I consider to be more agorist than anything. This is the Jason Henza. This is like, there's, um, this guy wasn't even mentioned in the series, but Doug Barbieri, I've written about him on my blog. And a few, a few local Mexicans. And those were the people that were really there for us. But then you had the anarchists that were like, oh, stay away from them. They're a security liability. When it's like anybody to use their common sense at the time was like, look, if Lily was going to be dead, they would have shot her when they had the chance because they did have the chance and they didn't. So yeah, it's one of those things where like, if a community doesn't actually have like what to do when crisis happens in place, instead of like, theoretically it'd be cool to live without police and have these private, you know, but like we had none of that in place. And we had a fragmented community of a bunch of broken people calling themselves anarchists that couldn't even get along with each other. And of course it went the way it did, you know, like, of course. <laughs> you know, you mentioned in uh, them telling you you should have called the police after that murder uh, of John. And it reminds me of something my friend Abby, who has been on the show several times, she's helped with the project quite a bit. And she mentioned, she said something one time, she said, she goes, I don't care what happens. She goes, I'm not going to involve the police in anything. 
in anything. Somebody called the police. Somebody called the police and got the body out of there and everything. You want to know what the police did? They robbed me for everything I owned, including my dogs. All I had on my person was a phone with a broken mic, which is why I went live on Hens' Facebook. And the keys to the house that I couldn't go to anymore because it was swarmed with police. They stole like 13, 300 watt solar panels, a home like power wall, homemade power wall, a motorcycle, a truck, two dogs. Like they stole everything from me. And it's like, okay, so how'd that work out for me? <laughs> That's in Mexico. And then if you're talking to your average American, they're going to believe that the police here in America don't behave that way, which we know is, gone, is not true. Forfeit as, or asset forfeiture is what it's called in the United States. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. They, they wrote a law so they could rob from you. I mean, they, they made a law so they could steal from you Yeah, to make it legal for them to steal from you. Yeah, and it's interesting because like, I, I've gotten a little close. I'm, I don't know if you've heard of Barry Cooper, but I got a little close with him after the series came out. He's going to help be an expert witness in my case. And um, the thing, there's two things that I appreciate about Barry. The one is that he doesn't call himself an anarchist anymore. And like, cause he says, you know, he tries to actively work with the state to get people free. I mean, whatever. And he, and he's effective at it. The other thing that I appreciate about him is that he's honest about the fucked up stuff that he did as a cop. One of those things being he, I think he told me the other week, he, he used the asset forfeiture thing and got like tens of thousands of dollars out of somebody and was like, look, if you come after this, I'm going to charge you with this crime that I'm not charging you with now. And you're, you're screwed. And that's, one cop of thousands that do that in the U.S. at the least. Barry Cooper sounds like somebody I need to talk to on this show. Yeah, he's he's an interesting guy. He he fled the United States in his own crazy way, and he's living in the Philippines now. And he's actually there's a there's a series coming out, um, a Netflix series most likely next summer about he's a never get busted guy. He's the cop that made the videos on how to not get busted and. Yeah, it's it's interesting how like these things kind of come full circle because I was airing that video for SSDP students in in college and like you know it's it's just been it's it's been an interesting journey. We'll say that. <laughs> I've had a I've had a somebody on the show. He was a, he's a former St. Louis uh, police officer, and I heard him through uh, on another podcast uh, called Toward Anarchy, and I had him on the show, and I wanted the reason I wanted to talk to him because he's a professing Christian, but he saw the police department for what it was and why he got out of it. And the, the state, the stuff he was telling me on this show that goes on behind the scenes that we're all, we're already suspicious of. I mean, if you're, if you're a professing anarchist or agorist or just anti-state, whatever you, you're suspicious of a lot of things going on with the state. We're very suspicious of police officers and the stuff that he was telling me on this show confirmed a lot of our suspicions about the police departments, you know, in, in, in this country, you know, I can't speak to Mexico because I've never been there. You could, but that's another thing that I've seen with folks. And this is getting away from like the anarchist topic, but just like your average American, the back, the blue type stuff, you know, they, they see them as protecting their freedoms when all they're really doing is protecting a politician's laws. Yeah. One of the things he got famous for one of his first, like part of why he fled the United States was he knew how cops would essentially 
you know, put people behind bars that didn't deserve it and get warrants illegally and stuff like that. And he essentially baited the the police in Texas by putting up a grow of Christmas trees in his house, setting it up just like a weed grow, but it was only Christmas trees. And they came in his house and he had cameras on them and stuff. And he all he used that in defense of like to get this woman out of jail, like this innocent woman out of jail. And that's kind of how his career started. And they clearly didn't like that and started threatening him and his life and his freedom. So he fled, I think, to Brazil first, maybe. But yeah, he's he's one of the biggest people I know and exposing all of that shit. Hey, folks, Greg here. And I'd like to let y'all know we are always looking for writers to contribute to our blog. I don't care if you have any experience or not. Two or three of our contributors have no prior experience writing, and it turns out they have a real knack for it. Our project coordinator helps them put the articles together, and she publishes them on our website and Facebook page. And you will also have the option to come on the show and go more in-depth about your article. So if you like what we're doing at The Bad Roman and would like to try your hand at writing, then send us an email at thebadromanpodcast at gmail.com. We're having a blast with this project, and we would love for you to join us in helping promote it. Now back to the show. All right. So you went. You, you call yourself an agorist. Give me. Give us a what? How? Just something practical. How? How somebody could could go about. All right. If we're gonna not gonna. If we're gonna shed the anarchist label, but we want to call ourselves an agorist, or if we need. A, if we feel like we need a label. What's the, what's like something very simple somebody could start with? Just start replacing your goods and services with people that are agorists. And an easy way to do that is um, there's a website and I, I work with them. I write for them and I do some web work for them called agoristnexus.com. And they have a directory and this directory is full of people that consider themselves agorists that offer all kinds of goods and services and just find ways to tap into the counterculture. Start doing what makes you happy producing things. And instead of using typical ways of accepting currency, you know, cryptocurrency, Monero is really great for, you know, getting money. Like my lifestyle simply wouldn't exist without cryptocurrency because I don't have a bank. I don't have access to it. I do have to use my partner's bank to exchange to pesos, but like in terms of getting those dollars over the border, like it's it's just about finding ways to reduce the impact of the state, whatever it may be, you know, like even if it's just accepting cryptocurrency on your website or, you know, only buying from people that are building the counterculture instead of just going to Walmart to buy things or Amazon to buy things, for example. I'm so ignorant to cryptocurrency and and I, i've heard of i've heard plenty about it running these circles right but i don't really understand how it works and and i i know folks who do understand it they try to explain it to me and i, I feel like it's i feel like my eyes gloss over because it's just something's not registering with me because in the back of my mind when i hear about crypto and i don't know what it's like in mexico but i but to, to me in the united states it, it seems like if it really took off then the state would figure out a way to regulate it and it would become theirs at some point. And I think that's my biggest fear. Well, here's the thing with it. Um, 
it's really not that different for example like actually just sending transaction crypto to crypto transaction it's not that different than sending money from one bank account to another you have an account number and you can send the money there are some cryptocurrencies that are more private than others like monero the thing that i appreciate about monero is you can see that there is a transaction on the blockchain going from one address to another but it won't tell you how much and it won't tell you how much is in that address unless you have a certain key to look in that address. Um, Bitcoin's a little more wide open. The issue is when people deal with fiat money. So like when you have to exchange it to dollars, for example. But like I know people that have gotten their landlords to let them pay them in crypto. So it's a crypto to crypto transaction. And it could relate, replace the, the economy as we know it. Um, if people stop trying to trade it to fiat, because it is heavily, it's already heavily regulated to, you know, from crypto to fiat. And it wasn't always that way. When I got involved in crypto, it was 2012. It was like $9 a coin. And you could buy it without an ID and you could sell it on the exchange without an ID and the money would just drop in your account. And as things have gone on, these measures called KYC or know your customer have gone into place, you know, like you have to give your ID, you have to give your passport, all of these things. But if you can find ways to transact with people without having to turn it to, you know, fiat money, and that's kind of the dream of the crypto world. And there are a lot of people that do like a lot of my jobs tend to pay me in cryptocurrency. A lot of the crochet stuff I sell People will pay me in crypto. And sometimes I end up training them in how to use crypto in order to get it, um, offering a little bit of a discount. But it's just a tool, but it's it's easier and faster. And with some blockchains like the Monero blockchain, you can send things without it being apparent how much of whatever it is is being sent. There are also ways to send Bitcoin without anybody knowing who the original source is. Like there are tools out there called mixers that literally just slingshot Bitcoin around to make it so it's extremely hard to figure out where that source Bitcoin came from and, you know, where it's ending up. Yeah, it's one of those things where like it kind of made my head spin the first time that I heard about it. But I, I was, you know, I think I was like 19 or 20. So I, I was like. I'm going to give this a try. And I started using it. It's a lot easier than I expected. And it's a good way to get things done. And, you know, like had I been able to hold on to those, you know, like my first Bitcoin purchase, I think I bought five Bitcoin when I was like 19 or 20 at like $30 a coin is when I personally bought in. And it's like, if I would have held on to those, I would have been set financially speaking. And even still, there have been times where I've been paid crypto and it's gone up a certain percent and I just, you know, free money. <laughs> and we're currently at <laughs> well, the bottom of the market as far as I'm concerned. It's kind of leveled out. So any crypto bond now in a year, year and a half from now, it's going to go way up because it has a, it, it behaves like a regular market in that like every about two, two and a half years, it goes up and it goes up way more than it's supposed to. And it plays around there for a while and then it crashes, but it's always higher than where it started. And it does that. And if you follow the market from the very beginning, it follows it like clockwork. 
So in like another year and a half. I hadn't expected this conversation about crypto when, when I when I set this up with you, but I'm, I'm glad we're having it. I have a question about it. My friend Chris Pope talks about this all the time. And he's convinced, and I want, I want to get your take on it. He's convinced that if we went to this, if, if the vast majority of folks went to this, it would be the end of the state. How do you How do you feel about that? Well, I mean, here's the thing is the state controls the money. And like the thing about crypto is they can regulate how you get crypto to their fiat currency, but crypto itself is unregulatable. And part of the reason for that is because it's so decentralized, it's worldwide. You would have to shut down power, including renewable power everywhere on the planet for crypto to die and that's just i mean the chances of that happening are pretty much slim to none so this is something that we could do is like a small stepping stone to seeing the state exactly kind of collapse under its own weight. exactly and it's a way to you know exist and transact without necessarily having to worry about it as much you know you're not okay, the IRS is seeing that this much is going into my bank account. But if you have a crypto wallet and you're buying things from other agorists with cryptocurrency then or buying services from other agorists with cryptocurrency, that's not necessarily so easy to track. Because the thing with the, with a bank account is obviously that's linked to your identity. They ask for forms of identification when you make it. When you make a crypto wallet, you just make a crypto wallet and you get an address, random stream of numbers and letters, depending on the blockchain. And maybe they could track that, that address to an IP address. Or if you really wanted to get deep in the OPSEC, you could get a VPN and make it so you could be in like middle of Mexico and all of your transactions are happening in Africa. And because of the nature of VPNs, they can't necessarily crack that. So who owns that wallet that has that big pile of money that's sending and receiving and sending and receiving, you know? Whereas with a bank account, every time you send money or PayPal, every time you send money, it's linked to your name to this name. Whereas like even with the transparency of the Bitcoin blockchain, for example, you can go up and you can look up any transaction and see where it's coming from and where it's going to. And you can click on the address and look and see exactly how many coins are in there. But you, whose is it? That sounds great. And it sounds like something I really need to pay, pay more attention to. Like I said, I, I'm, I'm interested. I just, you explained it better to me than I think a lot of folks have. I mean, it makes, maybe I need to talk to you privately and tell me how I could actually set this up and start doing this because I just getting started on it. it you said it's very simple. To me, it sounds a little daunting at first because I'm used to this one way of paying things. You know what I'm saying? Now, where I live, I, I see these signs on these stores, Bitcoin, you know, accepted here or crypto accepted here, you know, and stuff. I'm like, that's that's kind of what it's about. The thing is, like, the majority of people that try to explain cryptocurrency are speculators. So these are people that are buying it, and they're holding on to it for a certain amount of time, and then they're selling it when it hits high, and then they're rebuying when it's low. Um, and the reason why I'm able to better explain it than a lot of those people is because, like, I've been using cryptocurrency since the beginning. Like, when I first started, there was a service called pizzaforbitcoins.com and you could literally just send bitcoins to an address on this and tell them what you wanted and they would order from your local Papa John's and 
send the pizza to your house. We spend like two and a half Bitcoin, if I remember correctly, ordering pizza that way. There's a story out there where a guy spent 10,000 Bitcoins in the very early days on a couple pizzas to try out the service. Um, in 2013, I was using an app called Gift, an e-gifter, to buy gift cards from Kmart. And then you could go to Kmart and use those gift cards to buy gift cards for gas, for plane tickets, or you could just buy food with it. You could do whatever. And like, there's, and, and you know, you have businesses that accept it. And like, it's one of those things where like, there's a whole economy that's building and has been building for the last, I think it's 2009 that it came out. So like 13 years, this community has been building and it's the people that really use it that keep it alive. It's not the people that buy it and just sit on it. It's the people like me that like, I'll, I'll do a, I, one of the things I do is transcription for TDV and I'll get sent an audio file. I do the transcription. I tell him how many minutes and he sends me some Litecoin and it's not like a crazy amount. It's a small amount, but like I use that and pay for my life in whatever ways that I can. I, you know, I can't currently, cause like there's not a lot of places where I live accepting it, but um, I add to the, to the marketplace by offering my services and being a place where people can spend their crypto. And I think the more people that do that, the more it becomes like the side network, basically. That's awesome. Yes. I want to talk to you more about that, but I, I want to shift gears a little bit here because something Whenever I first reached out to you, I sent our website to you to, you know, kind of give you an idea of who, what we were about with the Bad Roman. And you mentioned I, I don't hold to any specific spirituality. And talking to you before we started recording, you said so, that's changed a little bit. And I think this might be interesting for our, our regular listeners to kind of explain what you meant by that. Um, as far as that, like you don't call yourself a Christian or whatever whatever, you don't put a, a, a face on anything, but you, you recognize something different is out there. So, I mean, explain that a little bit. It, it's been kind of a road for me. And like psychedelics has been part of it. Um, I hate to be that guy, but you know, like <laughs> psychedelics has been part of it. Even like I have literally a box full of crystals sitting next to my desk. But like the thing is like, I've learned that, you know, I, I don't I don't pray to a God, but I do pray when I need things to work out. And prayer does work. It's one of those, it's, it's proven to work. Um, it's all about setting intentions and kind of getting the energy that you put out into the world. And it's, I'm not necessarily, like you said, I, I don't put a face or a name to it or stick to a doctrine or, you know, worship in any way. But I do recognize that, like there's there's something out there that kind of fights for the good people that are willing to just kind of like, you know, I don't want to say surrender to the universe because it always makes me cringe when people do that. But like <laughs> it is kind of like that you just have to trust that not everything is under your control. Um, some things are out of your control. I think people personify whatever it is that's out there because as humans, we try to find ways to understand things that are unexplainable. Um, and I don't put too much effort into that, but I will say that, I mean, something's keeping me out of jail. <laughs> <laughs> I've had too many closed calls, like too many altercations where like 
things could have gone really bad, but they didn't. And um, the universe and the world and everything around us is not completely random. And there's things like the closest, I guess, that I have to a religion or something that I follow is something called human design, which is like kind of like astrology on crack because it has all the different doctrines combined into one, combined with science, combined with like a lot of different stuff. But like, that's what really got me to, you know, fully shift my mindset. My friend Nova Ohm, she did a free reading for me and she was a new friend. Like she was a friend of a friend, basically heard about the murder and that was it. And was like, I want to give you a reading, a free reading. And I was like, oh, okay, whatever. I'd just be nice and let her do it. But like, I'll be damned if this woman didn't know things about me that I'd never told anybody or that I never really articulated with myself, like things about how I work and what's important to me and stuff like that. And the more that I've learned about that, I've done a course in it now and learned to read things myself so I can kind of figure out because it's, it gives you a chart, but like there's probably a couple hundred elements within the chart and each one adds nuance to who you are and everything there's never been a single thing I've learned in that that I've been like that doesn't resonate so it's like okay so there's something out there that's kind of more or less making things happen and what we need to do is just focus on being good people and living up to what makes us who we are which is what human design is about it's like you work in this way, you eat best in this way, you rest best in this way, you deal with people best in this way. It's it's about stuff like that. And the more you honor those parts of yourself, the easier life becomes, I've noticed. And uh, yeah, and I mean, it, and it, I, I dabble in all things, like even tarot cards, for example. I met a tarot card lady that she, she reached out to me after the docuseries and she gave me a free reading we focused on um, my legal situation because that's, you know, I'm, I'm very much still on the run. And she told me, she was like, this is your lawyer. Expect a badass female, single or divorced. And I was like, female, everybody I've had suggested to me so far has been male. Okay. Yeah, right. And she's like, you'll get news on this within a week and you'll probably get resolution on this within 10 months to a year. Well, within a week, somebody recommended a lawyer to me, a female lawyer in Ohio. And I reached out to her and like, as a, like, we finally finalized it about two weeks ago, but she's now my lawyer and she's known for, she calls herself a freedom fighter and she's known for getting innocent people out of prison. Like her goddaughter is her goddaughter because she got his, her dad out of prison and he was like a black guy put in prison for, you know, he was innocent and she was able to prove him innocent after the fact. She did it for free, I'm pretty sure. And he, you know, she's now the godmom to his kids. So it's like, there's there's something out there and some people can tap into it and kind of understand it, whether they be Christians, whether they be pagans, whether they be shamans, whatever it may be. It's all like different flavors of the same force that's, kind of either either supporting the good people or you know you know you said something and I, I love that stuff i love this conversation but you said something just do good to people or be good to people and it's something that that i've done with with my faith you know in in christ 
is you said you don't hold to a doctrine. I don't any longer. I used to be pretty strict on what I believed when it came to church and stuff. And I don't, I know, I know who Christ is and I believe in Christ and I, I, all that stuff. But what I've done with it is I've gotten back and I apologize again, listeners, because I say this all the time. I get back to the basics of what he was teaching. And if we just got to the very basics of the teachings of Christ, love your neighbor and love your enemy. All that other stuff, all that other stuff, and I'm saying stuff that people fight about will fall into place. Why don't we just start by loving our neighbor and our enemy, being good to our neighbor, being good to our enemy, and just see what happens? Because we're not doing that. We're not even trying that these days. It's everything's a conflict. Why don't we just get back to the basics of the, if you if you look at the very basic teachings of Christ, there's nothing wrong with it, whether whether you hold to Christianity or not. Whether you believe Christ ever existed or not, I had somebody uh, comment on a post of mine on Facebook. She doesn't believe he ever existed. And I said, "Okay, well let's let's assume for a fact that that's true. What have I lost by following the very basic teachings of Christ of love your neighbor and love your enemy? Nothing. I've lost. I've lost nothing. And in matter of fact, I've probably helped the world be a better place in that in the process." To me, it's that simple. Yeah, it's interesting what you have to say because you keep saying love your neighbor and love your enemy thing. Well, like, in a sense, that's, you know, more or less what I've done with the Anarchapulco thing. Like, in the series, Anarchapulco, we didn't necessarily want it to be that way, but they were very much an enemy. It was very much like, it felt like the state of anarchy almost, (laughs) you know? I I realized sometime after the murder, like if I want to change what happens in that event, I need to get involved and build what I actually want to see. And that's what I ended up doing. I started working, um, Kat Bonandine. She's one of my best friends, like a, a sister from another family type of thing. She hired me to do some like assistant work and I worked my way up to producer. And Arcapulco is no longer my enemy, you know, and Arcapulco is now kind of my, it's like a labor of love. You know, I, I don't, I make a little working for it, but I don't make very much, but like, I'm finally building what I want to see. It's not just the let's get, you know, let's, let's party together and do drugs together and be rich together party that it's portrayed as in HBO series. Now it's much more about what are the solutions? Like, what can we do to actually make our lives better? And how can we come together and be good people? That sounds like a more, uh, like an anarcho-poco that more Christians would be interested in, in visiting than what we saw on the, the documentary. And, and there are a lot of people like that. There's a lot of more people, like spiritual people in general, um, of, from all camps, in my experience now. Because we have like, we have our medicine ceremonies and stuff like that, but there's no longer, you know, drunk, coked out people like there was in the past. Because that's really what it was, unlike... I remember one point, like the Freeman saying that there was going to be a pile of cocaine in the lobby, you know, like that is not what anarchy is about. It's about actually having solutions. And now it's about bringing people that really actually do stuff. And if somebody that we're bringing um, is just difficult and, you know, an asshole to work with, we don't work with them. We just, I don't care if you've got 2 million followers, we're not going to deal with you. And we've really, we've really made that shift. And it's, it's made a huge difference with who does come to the event now. Like it's, it's just, it's a lot of families. It's a lot of very chill people. It's a lot of business people and a lot of religious people I've noticed. Like 
it's completely shifted. Well, I say all the time too, and I don't know if it's, if it's become cliche or not, but live a life that gets folks asking you questions about why you're living this way. Get people interested. And that's exactly what you do, Lily. You you live a life. And I've, I've been so interested in, in what, what you got going on. I see the artwork that you're putting out there. It's beautiful. You, you, you went to an art show here recently and you did something with some cactuses. And I, I'm from West Texas and I was surrounded by cactuses. I was like, I'd like to hang that on my wall. And whenever I see, when I'm following somebody on social media and they start talking about food, I'm a big foodie. I, I love to eat. I love food. And you you posted, uh, I think it was on your website as well, a, a, a guacamole recipe. And I'm convinced that there's not a person in this world that likes guacamole more than I do. But if there is somebody that <laughs> has a different recipe that I'm used to, I'm interested. And you told me before we started recording that your recipes kind of changed a little bit or you found a different recipe. So why don't you tell us about your guacamole and then I want you to plug whatever you want to plug. Okay, well, the recipe you're talking about, um, I I actually learned this recipe when I was living with some raw vegans. Well, like one raw vegan and a pretending lady and her kids that didn't want to be vegan, if I'm being <laughs> honest. But this guy, like, he was like, this might be blasphemous to you, but I hated guacamole before. I never had good guacamole, but I lived in Ohio, like, we barely have avocados, you know. But yeah, he, he showed me this recipe in like 2014 and it's it's literally just mashed avocado but it has a lot of mix-ins like tomato and bell pepper and purple onion i'm glad you said purple onion because it's not purple it's not a red onion it is a purple onion I, i'll <laughs> die on this hill it's purple <laughs> whoever said that was colorblind but yeah um and lime juice and salt and it's all kind of like in the symbiosis like and it, it's got crunchy and it's got tangy and it's and it's like it's addicting it's really really good and i've only recently been able to eat guacamole again because i made the mistake anybody any female listeners stay away from the copper iud it will poison your body and i had copper poisoning i couldn't even eat avocados for like a year over it and that post was made right after I realized it was, it's been a little over a year since I got it out and I can eat them again without like horrible symptoms. And then I was in Mexico city and there was this, I forget the name of the restaurant, but I, I kept going to the restaurant because it had this like peanut pina, which is pineapple and mint juice. That sounds really weird, but it was one of the best juices I've ever had in my life. And then they like suggested the guacamole, which was kind of expensive for here. It was like $3 for like 200 grams of it. But I, I gave it a try and it was, I was surprised there wasn't cheese in it. And it's, it's literally just uh, avocado and um, a little bit of cilantro and a little bit of white onion and a little bit of salt and a tiny bit of lime. And like, you kind of got to get the ratios right. But if it turns out right, it ends up tasting cheesy. Really? Yeah. And supposedly that's how guacamole is supposed to be in Mexico. Like I've heard quite a few Mexicans say that guacamole is just avocado, cilantro, salt, onion, and, you know, and some of them will even just say it's avocado and cilantro and salt. But like, that's not enough, in my opinion. But man, we screwed it up in, in West Texas then, because you know, and there's a thing in Texas too. I, I, people pick on me all the time about making a making a pot of chili. And in, in Texas, you don't put beans in chili. You know, when it got out of Texas, people started putting beans in chili. We just call that stew down in Texas. That's not chili to us. 
you know. So if you go back to trace the trace the history of Chile, it goes back to the to San Antonio, Texas, and they're they're called they were called the Chile Queens. They were out there making chili. <laughs> there wasn't a bean in sight and it got outside of Texas. And I get picked on all the time. I get tagged and stuff on Facebook all the time with, with beans and chili because this is this is one of the few hills that I'm willing to die on. You do not put beans in chili. <laughs> so, but talking about that, it sounds like when maybe we screwed up uh, guacamole in West Texas or in Texas period because the way I make my guacamole is avocados, obviously, and purple onion. I use a lot of lime juice. I'm a big fan of lime juice. I love cilantro. And I'll throw some jalapeno in it too, you know, because I like to spice mine up. Yeah, I forgot to mention they put jalapeno in that too. That's the one because that's the one that I don't put in mine because I don't tolerate spice very well. But like this restaurant, like this particular restaurant, if I my understanding is correct, they are there to cater to the gringos. Like, <laughs> so like it's got just a little bit of spice in it, enough to tolerate, and it not very much. Those crazy white people screw up everything, don't they? I, I said something. I saw a video. This is funny. I saw a video on Facebook. And it was a bunch. It was like four or five white guys doing a rap video, and then one guy busted out from underneath the porch, and one guy went head first into the fence. I was like, "This is the most ridiculous thing I ever I've ever seen in my life." And I posted the video on Facebook, and my caption was, "White people are the worst." And Facebook banned me for twenty four hours because of hate speech. Yeah, I mean, but it's true. <laughs> It's true. I mean, like, white people in Mexico are hard to deal with. And that restaurant did get a little annoying because every time I'd order tacos, they're like, with queso? Because they assume I'm white, I want queso. I'm like, no. Like, <laughs> But, like, I remember when I moved to Mexico, when I first moved to Mexico, I was living in Acapulco, you know, just people that come down every month, basically, to give it a try. And one guy, he was just, he was so, he was one, he was so angry that none of the signs on the street were in English. It's like, you were in Southern Mexico. Like, get off your horse. <laughs> and then the second one, he's like, where can I find a real burger here? And the thing with burgers, especially in Acapulco, is like, it's not a burger unless it has pineapple, ham, and a hot dog on it. <laughs> and like, when I, when I moved there, I tried a burger on the street and I get taken home and it's got all those things in it. And I was like... Okay, welcome to Mexico. This is how we do burgers here. They put hot dogs on everything in Acapulco, on pizza. <laughs> they put it in the Chinese food. <laughs> they have a whole section of the grocery store that's called the salchicheria, which is literally hot dogs. <laughs> that's just how things are. That's a delicacy in, in Mexico is hot dogs? It's specifically Acapulco. Like, each part of Mexico is different. Um, okay. The but like yeah, it's there. There are certain things that are just like Mexico City. A lot of restaurants you go to Mexico City and you order a quesadilla. You need to specify that you want it with queso. But if you show up white, they're going to assume you want it with queso. Depending on the restaurant, okay. if you go to like a street taco vendor and you order quesadilla, and how many gringos I've seen go to Mexico City, go get their street tacos, get a quesadilla, and they're like, why the fuck doesn't this have queso? Well, that's why it doesn't have queso. It's it's Mexico City. It's part of the culture. Get over it. Like, Man, this has been fun. We we talked about a lot of different things that I wasn't expecting. And you know what? If, if you're ever interested, I'd like to get you back on when I get frustrated about something else when it comes to uh, – the anarchist, agorist, uh, liberty movement, whatever you want to call it these days, whatever whatever label people put on it. If you, if you ever have some time, I'd like to get you back on and, and blow off some steam. This is fun. 
I would recommend, I, I wrote the, the forward, I think is what it's called. And I made the cover for this book, Anti-Politics by Sal Mayweather. He's, he's in a, I know Sal. Yeah, I love Sal. He's a he's big agorist. That book, um, I had to read the book to write the forward. And that book has an article, if you want to dip your toes into Sam Konkin, by Sam Konkin, that was written in like the 80s about how mad he was that anarchists were trying to run for office in the Libertarian Party and the idiocy of it. <laughs> I would check out that book. Before I let you go, I want you to plug whatever you want to plug, like your artwork, your website, where people can reach out to you and learn more about Lily Forrester. Yeah, that's all. I've built a website and it's all in one place. Um, and I say all in one place because like at the bottom of the, in the footer, there's a whole bunch of links to all my social media and places to reach me outside of my website. But my website is highly functional growth, all one word.com. And that's where I post my crochet stuff. You can put in orders there. I do custom um, orders. I don't necessarily have like products for sale because the way my business has gone since the beginning is somebody messages me, they have an idea, I decide if I can do it or not, and then I make the thing and sell it to them. If I sent you some pictures of my cats, could you crochet something like that? Possibly. I'm already considered a crazy cat lady, so I might as well just go ahead and confirm it with a, with a wall hanging of, of my cats and crochet. You know the meme of like the cat that's like... There's like the front end of the cat and then there's a rainbow and then there's the back end of the cat. Have you ever seen that? Uh uh. It it bounced around like that's like maybe more my generation, but it I think it's called non cat. But like a customer sent me a photo of that and was like, Could you make a scarf? The cat in the photo, the original is gray, but they're like, Could you make me a scarf like this with the rainbows and have the cat at the two ends, but make the cat look like my cat? And I had them send me photos of every angle of their cat to do it. And it was obviously a cartoonish version of it. But like, <laughs> I mean, most recently, the crazy thing that I made, and I don't have any here to show you because I've sold them all, like, and they're all sent and at their homes is some guy messaged me after the series on, through my website and was like, can you make me an Eastern bluebird? And I was like, well, probably. And I ended up doing it. I made him too. And, um, then somebody else was like, make me a mockingbird. So I made a mockingbird. And then somebody ordered two or more of those, like a different person. So like, I just kind of make what people want. And there's a custom so orders form. And there's also a portfolio of pretty much everything I've made, except for like the last few projects on that website. I'm going to put a painting portfolio up there soon. It's my blog. But yeah, I mean, and the website itself is an advertisement because I build WordPress sites. So most of what I do for Anarchapulco is you go to anarchapulco.com, that site's built by me. I've done all of the things to make that site what it is. Well, we'll have your we'll have your website in the, in the show notes as well. So people will be able to link to it pretty quickly, if they, even if they missed it right here. So yeah, if you're listening to this and you and you missed it, go to the show notes and you'll, you'll see where her, you can find her website at and. Man, Lily, I've, I've, I've loved this conversation. I've been looking forward to speaking with you for some time. I'm, I'm a big fan because of the just your no-nonsense about the, the anarchist community. And I, I appreciate what you're doing. And I, I, Somebody described you as a, uh, and when I mentioned you coming on the show, she's part of our discussion group. And 
trailblazer. She called you a real trailblazer. And I, I think I don't think there's really much more you can say about Lily Forrester other than that, because that's that's to me, that's a very high compliment to say for somebody who is trying to make the world a better place by living the actions, living what they believe and going out there and doing it. And I, I appreciate folks like you that are actually going out there and doing it and, and putting your words into action and not just talking about it, you know, not just having a philosophy you're doing it. You're, you're, you're doing it. And I think we need more folks like you out there. Yeah. I think we, and we need more folks like me out here too. It's getting kind of lonely. <laughs> if I'm well, being honest. She, nobody ever accused you of being humble either. So, <laughs> well, I mean, like I am to an extent, but it's also like, I know, I know my limits and I know, you know, like I've also been called a Jill of all trades. Like I, I work for a, I don't know how I bullshitted my way into a legit job, but I have a job with a PR firm. And last week, like the the lady that I work with, she was giving me some tasks and she was basically like, is there anything that you can't do? And I was like, I haven't found anything so far. Usually people will message me, they'll ask me, I'll give it a try. And most of the time, be it crochet or random freelance stuff, I get it done. I might have to learn and like watch some tutorials, but I figure it out like completely self-taught on WordPress, but I manage all that. Well, you're a lot smarter than I am. Well, I don't claim to be smarter than anybody, but I, I just, I'm, I'm more willing to try shit. No, I'm, I'm, I'm giving you that title. You are smarter <laughs> than Craig Hargis. I'm, I'm, I'm giving you that title. You can, you can post that on your website. I am smarter than Craig Hargis. That's not saying a whole lot. I'm just saying, but you, if you, if you feel like sharing that with folks, you'd be like, I'm smarter than Craig Hargis. He said, I could say that he's, he's, he's admitted to it. <laughs> But I'm going to let you get out of here and go enjoy the rest of your day. And I really appreciate this. I want to do this again sometime. We'll, we'll, you know, we'll see. We'll see what happens along the way and keep doing what you're doing. Sounds good. I'll talk to you soon. Thanks for joining us this week on the Bad Roman Podcast. Be sure to subscribe to the show wherever you find your podcasts to never miss an episode. And while you're at it, if you like what you heard, we'd appreciate a rating on iTunes. Or if you'd simply tell a friend about the show, it really helps people find us. 100% of donations are given to local charities in Memphis, Tennessee. To learn more about The Bad Roman Project and to find show notes, please visit thebadroman.com. Bad Roman.